All right. Welcome to Crypto 101, everybody. Uh, Crypt Nation, hope you guys are having a good day. Uh, Pete, how are you doing? You're holding in there. You know, I really feel like uh, the next morning's leftovers today, but I, I really miss hanging out with you and Crypt Nation and all our wonderful guests. So I'm just going to suck it up and get through it today. Yeah, Pizza Mine's been a little under the weather, but yeah, I feel like we've talked about that in the last like six episodes. But uh, we're getting that immune system beefed back up, I promise you guys. And today, uh, we are joined by a gentleman and a scholar, uh, somebody who I met recently in Los Angeles at the Crypto Invest Summit. Very impressed. And this is Corey Siegel. Not to be confused with Corey Seagal, aka Steven Seagal's relative. This is Corey Siegel, the founder and CEO of Abstract. Welcome to Crypto 101, man. Hey, thanks a lot, guys, for inviting me. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk to you guys. Absolutely. And, you know, as we were just catching up briefly uh, before the recording, you mentioned something that, you know, not a lot of people really bring up on the show. And so before we even get into your background or who you are, or why you're on the show, you wanted to make a delineation between blockchain and cryptocurrency. And I think that's that's awesome. So So why don't you just dive into that? Sure. So I guess we'll go at even the highest level. So there's this technology, it's been around for a while, called Distributed Ledger Technology or Decentralized Ledger Technology, DLT. And blockchain is a huge subset of it. And a lot of times people just kind of equate the two. Um, there are other things that are called DAGs and other technologies that do decentralized ledgers. But blockchain obviously is the biggest thing in the space and the most well-known. And then within blockchain, um, there's different ways that the technology is used. So like, for example, most people are familiar with Bitcoin and there's big Bitcoin and little Bitcoin. And so one is the actual cryptocurrency, which everyone's very familiar with. And one is the technology. And by big and little, but sorry, real quick, by big and little, you mean uppercase and lowercase, right? Correct. Uppercase and lowercase B. So um, when you're looking at, you know, the, 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 the big B in terms of like the actual currency itself, uh, Bitcoin, BTC, that is the currency that is utilized by utilizes the the ledger Bitcoin ledger, which is actually the technology. And then same thing with Ethereum. Uh, it's another popular uh, cryptocurrency. You have you know Ethereum, the actual currency cryptocurrency, and then you have the blockchain technology. And then people might even be familiar with the ERC twenty or the tokens that people use uh, for other various means. So just the, the cryptocurrency is this one type of asset class. There are utility tokens as well. And even within cryptocurrency, there's stable coins, which I think we'll get into a little bit later on. And then non-stable coins like BTC and stable coins are things that are backed by uh, an asset like the US dollar or can be backed by gold or pegged to anything that's kind of real asset in today's uh, world. Yeah, I love it. And, and that's something that we actually haven't even brought up on the show yet is the big B, little B. So you know, just as, a, as just to kind of repeat what you said, you know, the big B is the currency or think about if you have a spreadsheet, it's the numbers on the spreadsheet. And then the little B is the Bitcoin network, right? It's that underlying architecture that enables uh, these peer to peer communications and value transfer. So if you guys see little B Bitcoin written, you know, in prose or in papers, wherever it is, they're referencing the actual network architecture. And if you see the big B, it is the currency. So so thank you for bringing that up, Corey. And I think that's just a good jumping off point for, for our conversation here. I mean, you've built a really impressive system over at Abstract. So why don't you just go ahead and jump into, uh, you know, what is Abstract? What problems are you trying to solve? 
And, you know, kind of a little bit about your background. You know, how'd you get into the space? What were you doing before? Sure. So um, I've been in the IT consulting space for about 22 years before uh, going off into entrepreneurship. Um, I started off as a programmer back in the mid-90s with EDS, uh, doing the Y2K big scare thing. Uh, I actually was coding in C, but I was forced to learn Cobalt because that was the only thing, the big thing, and they paid really well. Um, <laughs> that is amazing. I would, I definitely want to hear more about the coding frenzy that went into Y2K. Uh, that was the turn of the century from 99 to 2000. Everybody thought the computers were going to shut down. The world was going to stop. So don't forget that point because we're going to come back to that. <laughs> sure, sure. So and that was also during the, you know, the dot-com bubble came up towards the end of that, of that, of that nineties as well. So, uh, and then I quickly decided I didn't want to program in, in that. And I wanted to get into more, um, you know, quality control. So things like Lean, Six Sigma, uh, meeting compliance, eventually with SOX, uh, there's something called CMM, people maturity model, um, quality management, all these different quality controls, right? Six Sigma, which, you know, came out from Toyota. And so for me, it was all about improving how companies operate. And so I got really good at that, going in there and help consult and then help implement both operation side of the house of, of how people do things and support our technology today, whether websites or applications or products, as well as how to actually do the upstream side of that, which is like, you know, what products should we build? What is our demand? What's the market look like? And then how do we package that into our budget and then a portfolio of projects and then eventually execute on those uh, projects to actually implement them? So I consulted on that whole entire life cycle, the whole entire value stream chain. And that's what I did for both large companies. Um, I worked for some of the big four at one point, uh, Wipro, which is an offshoring Indian company, huge company, as well as some smaller firms. And then eventually myself for, for quite a while in that space. I mean, Rackspace, Best Buy, uh, Fox over SoftBank, actually, in, 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 uh, over there in Tokyo. These are all clients or uh, accounts that I worked on in some form or fashion. So eventually I got into the whole like, you know, business development, sales side of the house and kind of higher level management. And then um, I decided uh, I actually got kind of burned out and spent a year, took off a year. And uh, I'm actually a, a pretty good poker player. I actually took a year off uh, and did the circuit uh, to see if I wanted to do that for a living. I got burned out on IT and then um, decided, uh, you know, money and poker, in this case, Hold'em and, and Omaha were great. But uh, it kind of got grindy and boring for me. I like to build things. I'm an architect by nature. So I decided that wasn't something I wanted to do a long-term career. I still do it today, uh, but it's more of a secondary thing that I do versus a primary uh, thing. And then eventually I started off a couple companies. One is a, a company called The Anti, which is specialized in HR. And what we do there is we help implement ServiceNow and integrate that with other HR products like Workday and application tracking systems. I'm sure y'all might be familiar with your, your listeners might be familiar with like Taleo, that annoying tool that helps you have to basically enter all your application information over and over again, no matter what company leverages it. And it's kind of, you know, there's a lot of friction there, right? It's like, why can't we do it once? And why can't every company leverage that? So eventually newer things came out, but we basically help support, um, my company helps support HR solutions, both from transformation standpoint, as well as implementation of the ServiceNow product suite platform. And then let's see, in 2017, end of 2017, I really, um, really actually 2016 is when I got involved in the crypto space and started doing altcoins and Bitcoin and Ethereum and really getting into the technology and understanding. And then, of course, putting my money in in terms of uh, acquiring you know, these currencies. 
And then as I investigated the technology side, it really you know got my curiosity about how this could be applied to both not only like you know payments and stuff like that, but even non-payment solutions, whether it's gaming or artwork and the things around that. And then in South, Southwest by Southwest in 2017, I met Daniel. I was looking for a new project, a new solution. And uh, I met my co-founder, Daniel Arouage, and uh, we both had issues with kind of the experience we were having, you know, buying and selling cryptocurrencies. And that's kind of where the idea came up. Uh, initially, the company was called Vault Wallet to put together a like a Venmo for crypto experience. And um, eventually, uh, about eight months ago, we, re- we rebranded ourselves to a company called Abstract because of uh, what we're doing today, which is really abstracting the technology. And that's based on lessons learned and kind of where we're seeing the industry and kind of what's going on there. So that's kind of my background. I'll let you, you know, it's kind of where I see things are at right now. So solid. I love all the color. And before I forget, I kind of just want to jump into the Y2K stuff just because I'm super interested. What was that like? Uh, it was interesting because there's a lot of firefighting uh, leading up to, you know, that Y2K date. And it was very much a rinse and repeat where we're changing uh, two digits throughout all these legacy systems into four digits so that uh, things don't blow up. And uh, I worked on a lot of financial systems uh, with the company, with EDS. That was kind of the area that they hired me for. And so they wanted to make sure that anything from taxes to AP to AR accounts payable, accounts receivables, uh, the general ledger uh, to um, W-2, all that stuff had to make sure that it didn't blow up because when you're having big clients like Continental Airlines or Sabre or, or General Motors on the systems, and back then EDS you know, had 110,000 people and some major money coming in, it was important that we ensure that our clients' systems didn't break and cause a lot of problems with uh, their, their essentially their ledger, right, their database in that time. And uh, so it was stressful um, in some senses, but uh, we tested and it was pretty good. And I said, I, I, did, I did a portion of that. Um, I got out before the actual Y2K date happened, but uh, I was you know, in 96, 97 is when I started doing some of that. And then I moved on to a different position because I just did not want to program in COBOL and change things in COBOL. Yeah, I was uh, also in the tech space for a very, very long time, 20-year alumni myself. And programming is the one thing that I never wanted to get into for that reason alone. There's just zero creativity. And it's completely monotonous. And I can't imagine just spending years of my time adding a couple extra digits to millions of lines of code that, that drive me crazy. So good choice for what to do with your life. And now uh, another good choice, you built Abstract. So one of Abstract's goals is to integrate digital assets into your existing application. So why would someone want to do this? And what are the pros and cons of integrating digital assets into applications? Yeah. So if you think about where we are today, there is friction in, in certain systems and certain services and applications. Like, for example, just sending money. Why do I have to pay $45 you know, for a wire? Um, it's my money. Why can't I just send it to someone very quickly and easily? Why is it? What's that cost about and why is it so costly? And the reason why is there's a lot of middlemen or friction in between that for me to send money from myself to, say, my wife or a friend. In other situations, there are reasons to want to actually deal with um, this technology from a audibility standpoint. Uh, we want to make sure when we have legal audits or court, so you avoid an Enron situation, or if you know a court comes up and once you need to prove something, that you have more than, oh, yeah, me and my friends did not you know, fudge and change the ledger, right? Change our database. That there are so many people out there that 
we don't have the ability to do that. To things like what Walmart's doing, which is you have to work with third parties and you want to hold them accountable and have transparency. In addition, there might be competitors that you want to share certain information with, but not everything. Like for Walmart, they want to share like any sort of E. coli breakout or potential um, viral or health-related information with, say, HEB, but they don't want to share what they're pricing uh, their, their stuff at. So how do we share this information that benefits all of us in this space, in this case, the grocery business? Um, so when E. coli does happen, that we're able to let our partners know or they're able to let us know. And we can prove, in this case, to um, to the FDA that we know exactly where it came from, what Providence, what farm it came from, and exactly what stores received it, and how we can without any question, prove that if we remove it from these locations that we've basically gotten all of it. So what that does from a business standpoint is it helps with health. It helps with um, the ability to prove to regulators that that they've they, they complied and got rid of you know the problem lettuce in this case, leafy greens. And third, it saves them a ton of money because they don't have to recall all the lettuce. So you don't have to throw all that lettuce away that's good because you don't know what's good and bad. In this case, you only have to do say a quarter of it. So you're talking, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars savings every time that happens, probably more than that. I don't know the exact numbers, but uh, they, in the last last November, they had a recall and they were only had to recall a portion of it. And uh, it definitely was something that, that showed and proved out a use case there. So that's just an example of where the, the technology is. And what Abstract does around this is I kind of equate it to a car. So you have, you have, you know, Bitcoin, you have Ethereum, you may have heard of a company called Ripple or a blockchain called Ripple. You may have heard of Hyperledger. Um, IBM is a big sponsor of that. These are different, say, manufacturers, right? Auto companies, blockchains. And then you have different models on that. And that's what we call dApps. So different, like GMA create, you know, 10, 15 dApps on their own. But think of dApps as kind of the different models. All these manufacturers, all these blockchains and all of these different models, these dApps have some similar parts. And they want them to be great, responsive, be able to provide and scale, be very user-friendly. And that's what Abstract does. We basically create the tires, batteries, and car engines for all of these automobile industries, all of these blockchains, and for all of these dApps, all of these different models. And so they don't need to focus on that. And otherwise, they got to hire security expert teams and mobile security experts And they have to look at what technologies is really good for, say, variable networks when you're talking about cell phones and cell phone towers and things when you're not connected to Wi-Fi. So we've basically taken all of that and basically packed it up in a nice infrastructure that they can just kind of wrap in. So like Legos, they can literally take advantage of all that stuff we've done for them so that they can focus on things that are important to them and kind of what's in their mainstream, which is the business, maybe partnerships. And so companies can leverage our APIs and our SDK to basically be the car, tires, batteries, and engine, and they can focus on the model and the go-to-sales market and all the partnerships to put their cars in. And that's kind of how I equate kind of what we do. We're really, uh, you know, we call it picks and forks and shovels play. Uh, we're a middleware as a, as a company, and um, we do everything from, you know, literally you can buy our code for half the cost it takes you to build it out, and you're talking about a Lamborghini-level quality here versus, say, a Ford Taurus, which you get in some of the open-source stuff. Um, so that's where we differentiate is we basically give you an open source, you know, kind of for tourist level um, cost for a Lamborghini experience. And uh, you could, you know, basically leverage all that today versus having to wait six to 12 months to build it out yourself. So that's where we see value added in the system and a value accrual. 
we help companies basically connect to a blockchain solution very quickly and easily. I love it, man. That's so well described. And I don't think anybody's ever explained their business like that with the with the car analogy. So I really like that. And you know, I, on your site, you guys say, um, you know, we could build uh, trading or supply chain or gaming or reward program products. And so I'm, I'm kind of, I mean, I'm very interested in all these things, but let's just, uh, you know, we talk about supply chain a lot and trading a lot, and we don't really talk about gaming and reward program products. So what would it look like for a gaming company or a gaming client and a reward program client of abstracts? What would that look like? Sure. So um, let's talk about rewards. We have a, a couple clients that we're talking to that are doing um, rewards in different ways. Um, one's doing a rewards exchange. So, for example, you would have an app on your phone. And let's say I'm shopping in Target. And, you know, most people have reward points across a slew of things, right? Maybe on average, roughly 30, diff- you know, 30 different reward programs you're, you know, an, an individual's in. And all these points just sit there and die off. They may expire. You can't really use them because you don't have enough to buy anything with them. And so they just kind of sit around and they're, you know, in, in, in some ways that the model is made that way because, you know, people who give those points out know that, you know, a good portion may not be used. But the whole point is you have this these siloed friction reward programs. So what if there's a way, and this is what we're looking at doing, where you download an app and let's say we help with the background and even the UI UX of this, where I'm at Target and let's say I'm buying $100 worth of, of Target, you know, tar- Target items. And I immediately get notified that someone is selling target reward points or gift card points uh, at 50, 50 cents to the dollar. And let's say they have $100 out there. So I'm like, wow, I want to buy that. I will spend $50, buy $100 worth of reward points. And then when I go to the cashier, I basically spend those $100 of reward points, get all my goods, and I'm done. I just basically had an instant way of saving 50 bucks. And so on the other side, the person who posted those reward points were able to sell off those reward points at, 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 a, at a fraction of the cost, maybe not 50 to 100, maybe it was $80 for $100 of reward points. But you're also able to exchange it as well. Let's say um, I want to exchange, uh, let's say I like, the, you know, I like Walmart over Target. So uh, and I do have some Target points, I want to exchange for Walmart points. So this whole idea of a buy and sell order process for reward points is important. And the reason why blockchain enables this is, is because it makes reward points fungible. And that means I basically can trade them and sell them. Um, and they're not stuck in the ecosystem. And so with this, you got to have a means to have a way to have these reward points on a, a similar a similar technology. And so, you know, people may think of ERC-20 or other sort of tokenizations of reward points and then basically just what we call color coin it right which is it's underneath it's the same coin but it's a target branded version of it or it's a walmart branded version of it that's the easiest way of doing it there's other ways of what's called swapping them which is a little more friction but the whole point is that we would have a wallet where literally i could be in a store and i could be notified or go or go see very quickly if i can get a discount on on spendable gift card points or reward points at that store and have an instant savings. So maybe it's 30%, maybe it's 20% savings. But if I'm already buying the goods, why not have that savings immediately? And it kind of helps me out from what I'm buying and helps someone else out who doesn't shop there anymore. And so this is one example of where a gift card exchange or a reward exchange and an application that users can use to have basically instant savings uh, could be very cool. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Uh, I love the idea of doing that. So what kind of traction does Abstract have with something like this, or is this really just the middleware and that's uh, an application that someone in the future can build? 
Yeah, so there are companies building. So to build the application I just talked about, you have established partnerships, right, with Target or Walmart or your local coffee store or whomever you have in this ecosystem that's willing to have a rewards program and allow people to interchange and exchange that. So to build those partnerships and all that is a huge task on its own to get people on-ramped, right, as partners into the ecosystem. And that way users have more advantage. Look at Groupon, right? How long did it take for them to get enough partners to be able to offer all those different coupons? So just basically take Groupon and tokenize it and be able to exchange, you know, 20% Instead of you know you know five dollars off of Starbucks whatever I can then spend five dollars off you know, off of, off of Target and so to be able to exchange that's really key and so what we do is we provide that wallet technology and that infrastructure that allows you to have a top performing application so we specialize on the design side which is like easy onboarding intuitive navigation great design um, as well as the performance. And that's the underlying technology of our SDK, where I literally have, you know, ability to have sub-second ability to access my data and uh, my information and to be able to send transactions over variable networks, which like basically for if you've ever been outside and you've had not connected or disconnected or switches between Sprint and AT&T, that's what we mean by variable networks. So because we're becoming a mobile society and mobile apps is kind of like an extension of us, right? Our phone is kind of like a cybernetic bionic extension of us these days. Um, 100%. <laughs> it's important to uh, to really look at the experience on the mobile device and how we can interact with all these various applications. And so there's a stat I'll throw out there. Nine out of 10 users leave an app they download in three months. So out of the 2.5 million applications out there, most of them get abandoned. There are a lot of other reasons why. Maybe this is a bad idea. The app this is horrible. They charge too many fees. But a lot of reason why is it may take. It may be a bad. And a lot of reasons why it might be a bad experience, or, or in general, just the, the application itself is just too cluggy, too busy, too much everything. It's not simple and nice and sleek. So we specialize on advising and even implementing nice and sleek applications. And then we also put in that modernized backend to ensure great performance so that your application could be a top performing app. And that includes blockchain as well as even traditional stuff as well. Uh, so we have customers that are support, we're supporting cash apps that are um, nothing to do with blockchain right now. Uh, they're not ready for that. And then we'll get to that a little bit later on. Um, but the adoption component of it is let's first land and let them have a cash app experience. Uh, and then eventually, as they want to introduce Bitcoin or other uh, crypto assets that we can just literally plug that in very quickly. You know, this was a really, 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 really big week for our sponsors and our good friends over at eToro. And why do I say that? I say that because they just launched a new product called Copy Trader. And this is a product I know you guys are going to love and I'm super excited to talk about uh, because it's actually really innovative and helps the average consumer. It's amazing, and it basically means that you can automatically copy every trade from one of eToro's top crypto traders at the exact price that that other person gets in at real time. All you have to do is click the copy traders button on eToro, and you find a big list of traders, and you could click and view their stats and view their portfolio. And their This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic, but today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. 
and with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Their history, uh, and then you just click copy, and you get to copy them trade for trade. So basically, you can just bet on somebody else's strategies. And to make it even more fun, guess who has a copy trader profile that you can copy? Yes, that is correct. Yours truly, Crypto101 underscore Bryce. And actually, big bad Kevin, who is part of the Crypto101 team who stays behind the scenes and makes a lot possible here, also has an account, and that's Crypto101 underscore Kevin. And I think Pizza Mind's account should be up and running here pretty soon. Crypto 101 underscore pizza mine. Um, kind of cool. Copy the smart money with eToro. You join now at eToro.com slash crypto 101. It's very important you use that slash crypto 101 because that helps us, that helps you, helps everybody. It's a good time. All right, guys, back to the show. So there's a lot of people that listen to this show and our live streams that are entrepreneurs that have dreams that would say, man, I would love to build my own app or my own product or my own token or whatever it is but I just don't know how. I don't have the technical expertise. What would it cost for someone to get started using Abstract to start building their dreams? And what kind of technical expertise would they need to bring to the table with them? Well, the, the good news is we have simple one-line command APIs. Uh, so you need to have someone who understands, you know, if it's a mobile device, React Native or Java uh, Kotlin or Swift, one of the, the languages on Android or iOS, a or Java if they just want to do a web interface. Then all they do is add, like literally, we have like create wallet, delete wallet, retrieve balance for a certain cryptocurrency, or and it's literally one line commands APIs. So it's very easy uh, for someone that's not super technical to just plug in that API into their user experience into their UI itself. And be able to enable uh, cryptocurrency or enable our, our performant backend technology to do that. So it's very simple that way. And so when you're looking at building a new application, a lot of people like don't have a lot of money, right? When you're in your startup, it's like how do I get a proof of concept out there so that our prototype so that I can raise money? And so we offer our SDK for free, even up to 100 production users. So you can just literally go to our site and and ask us to. You know, you're interested in downloading it and we'll give you a test, you know, account API key and you go to town. You just literally plug it into your UI and test it out, take it for a ride and, you know, and we're, we're good to go. 
and uh, you can raise money off of it. You can do prototypes, MVPs off of it. You don't even need to worry about that. And if you know if you want to wrinkle it out yourself later on, great. We've had some customers that just literally you know use our SDK to raise money with. So you don't have to build all that stuff out. So it's pretty much like open source in that sense that it's just there and ready. But honestly, it's just packaged nice and neatly and better than open source. The deal with open source is it's open source and it's free, but you have a lot of things you need to do to kind of wrap and package that up still. And from a maintenance standpoint and from a customization standpoint, meanwhile, we have APIs that are already packaged up for you, which saves a lot of time and energy. So literally in four to six weeks, you can basically create a cash app. We're basically like cash app SDK. So if a bank wants it, if a financial institution wants it, if a union wants it, I know there's some union apps right now that have, have problems keeping users because their application, their mobile app just isn't very performant. So they can just go ahead and white label or private label our Venmo UI or literally just plug in our SDK into their existing UI very quickly and easily. And they'll have a much more performant app that will keep their users on board. And we're all about user experience as a company and security. That's a primary vision of Moto is user experience is always number one. We abstract the technology, so we don't talk about blockchain or API keys uh, to our business. We talk about a better experience and how we can enable things and remove friction and save money or increase revenue. And then it so happens that blockchain and our technology enables that. It sounds like you're doing the Lord's work, Corey. (laughs) You are spreading so much good tech for so many good people here in our space. So thank you on behalf of a lot of people. Oh, no, this is this is a passion of ours. And both me and Daniel said, look, we have to make it easy and just have it work. Um, It just needs to work. Love it. So I'm going to do a little lightning round of questions. How how does that sound? All right, let's do it. (laughs) You got your coffee? You geared up for this? Uh, I don't have my coffee. I had it earlier, but uh, hopefully I'll be able to process this pretty fast. Let's just do it, man. (laughs) All right. What specifically excites you about cryptocurrency and blockchain? If you were to sum it up in a paragraph, what about this space excites you? Returning ownership to the individual eventually down the line. This is 10, 15 year vision of ours. We want individuals to be able to control their their, their assets, their, their data, the protection of their data. At the end of the day, that is our vision, but have it done in a way like it is like I control a key to opening up my door of my house, right? I don't have to call someone up to get access to my house. So returning ownership to the individual, making it easy enough to where it's just there, it's kind of what our goal is and our vision is. And it's what excites me, the whole idea of, of some decentralization of this and to be able to have custody or ownership over your own things to me is very exciting. Amazing. Okay. On the flip side, what is your least favorite thing about cryptocurrency and or blockchain? Uh, A lot of people are using it for quick, rich schemes and um, giving a bad name uh, towards the technology by doing so and taking advantage of of goodwill people that think they're able to invest in something and it ends up being a Ponzi scheme or the security around it is just bad and they lose their money or assets and time and energy. What is the most important humanitarian problem to be solved that crypto or blockchain can contribute to? Uh, one of our passions, and it's, it's, there's a couple. One is, is the unbanked or underbanked. People who don't have access to bank accounts because they're too expensive to have access to or they literally don't have a physical, you know, it's two hours away. So how can I not have money underneath my bed and stuff? And that's one piece of it. Um, there's a lot of people working on that space. And it doesn't necessarily require blockchain. 
But what it does do is it requires banks to basically stop charging fees to have an account. And so decentralization will actually promote that fee-less stuff. Just like Robinhood basically got rid of fees for traders. It's promoting that. These are really cool things. Um, the other thing is I'm working on a project right now for the homeless. So homeless have a hard time keeping stuff. But what they can have is a QR code or an ID or a way of babbling, having different services scan that and having all their medical history or medical privileges, uh, their food, food stamp privileges, everything like around that. So from a humanitarian standpoint, being able to support um, the homeless in terms of their services uh, and being able to actually give them what they deserve and what they're rewarded by whatever program is a really cool thing from that standpoint. Awesome. Love it. Okay. A couple more. Aside from anything that you have built at Abstract, what is your favorite crypto app? Brave Browser. That's a pretty easy one for me. I use it every day. So that's the one I would say is number one. And the Bat Token. Yeah. We use it every day over here too. Very much big fans of Brave here. What do you think is the most significant barrier to adoption? It depends on, on on what sort of adoption you're talking about. If you're talking about business to consumer, like a consumer app, and you're talking about like decentralized, open, public blockchains, I'm not going to go into like the private stuff right now or permissioned. It's uh, key management. And so we are working on, as we go through our stack, what we come in, we're talking to gaming companies is like, Corey, we can't have people write down 12 character phrases or even storing, you know, your backup into your key store with a password is not as secure as it needs to be. So we are coming up with a distributed key management system that's going to solve that problem to where literally it's as easy as calling up your credit card company and getting a recovery code and having your accounts restored. So it's about the user experience around key management that has to be addressed. And so that's the number one issue, at least on the non-custodial side of things, meaning I have ownership. Uh, if, if you still have custodians over things like you do with a lot of the you know, institutional investors around Bitcoin, then I would say it's around scalability and user experience. So user experience and key management to me are the top two things across the board that need to be addressed and uh, that need to be worked on. And I think there's companies like us that are working on it as well as others. Hundred percent. You know, one of the things that you just were talking about about key management and being able to you know call somebody in order to recover your private keys if you know you lose them or whatever. It sounds good, but kind of to play devil's advocate a little bit, it goes against the ethos of crypto. And it sounds like you introduce an element of trust that shouldn't be there. And it sounds like it could be easy to, you know, socially engineer your way in to get somebody's private keys. For instance, you know, people social engineer AT&T and uh, to sim swap people all the time. So can you talk a little bit more in depth about that key management solution? Yeah, we can have a whole podcast on this. I'm going to try to keep it within one minute. <laughs> so we're doing a hybrid solution. So what you, you know, when a key resides on, on a phone, um, and it's, it's basically a non-custodial. What happens if I lose my phone? And so the question is, how can I recover this with the same ease of experience as, as calling up my credit card company? And we're uh, developing, uh, we have a solution architected and we want to work with some partners to develop what's called a distributed key management solution. So think of you know, your three fingerprints and you need two of your three fingerprints essentially to sign a transaction or to give access or to decrypt data. That's what we're doing uh, virtually. And so one of the keys is on your phone. One of the keys is with a trusted third party. And then one of the keys is either if you really are, are, are cautious on a ledger treasure in your, in your bank account somewhere, 
uh, sorry, a safety deposit box somewhere, uh, or it could be with a third-party custodian that we have no idea about. So what ends up happening is is the third-party the third-party trustee and the custodian that you selected don't know about each other. So and they only have one of three of the keys, and you remember two fingerprints. So you need two of the three to sign. So what ends up happening is on a day-to-day basis, I initiate a transaction, I sign a contract. The then the second person that you sit with a trusted service provider will do some fraud detection and then identify, make sure it's you and then co-sign it. And then those two together cryptographically are become a valid signature. And it's not multi-sig, it's, it's, it's sort of multi-sig, but it doesn't burn gas. It doesn't require smart contracts. It's, even, it's, it's actually a non-blockchain solution, but it helps better with key management. So if you think about where keys are resided and how bad actors get to those keys and get the data, if the data is encrypted and I have to go to the service provider and then find every person's phone and then get access to the phone just to get access to their individual data, it makes it a huge uh, – the incentive is it's not there. There's no way they're going to be able to do a mass breach on 10,000 uh, keys and all the data around that because the keys are really distributed amongst three parties. You need two of those three parts essentially to actually be able to get access to decrypt it. And then on a recovery standpoint, if I lose my phone – what ends up happening is I call up that, that service provider, say, put a hold on my account. So even with that one part, if they somehow get access to it, they can't do anything with my money. They are then uh, asking for recovery code. And then I either go to my safety deposit box or wherever that third part is and get the recovery code off of that. And then I basically download the app again, put those recovery codes in. And what we do is we retire, we use the two keys to create a set of new ones and retire those old ones and then redistribute those three keys again. So that's the recovery, the non-custodial recovery process. So what ends up happening is who you're trusting as an individual could be yourself. If you want to put the third key in your safe, you own two of the three, you can sign transactions, you can send Bitcoin. You are the custodian of everything you do around those keys, or you could trust a third party to hold it, which most people in the world will do. You know, then I call them the non-Bitcoiners of the world um, where they just choose one out of, you know, choose their custodial person and uh, they call those guys up. And then those guys you're calling up, by the way, to get these recovery codes are going to ask you a personal question. So you'll set up, we'll get, we'll get rid of the whole, like, you know, your state, you know, your high school, all that data is known. When you start setting up with these people, they'll ask you, tell me a personal question and answer that only, you know. So like, Hey, Corey, give me a personal question. Well, when I was in fifth grade, I burned my, uh, my uh, treehouse down and had to go to the hospital. And that might be the answer. So the question might be, what did you do during fifth grade that caused you uh, a major life, life knowing uh, threatening situation? And I would say, oh, yeah. And so my whole point is, if you start ask, if your KYC questions to get these recovery codes are very specific, then it makes it very difficult. Nothing's 100 percent secure other than something that doesn't work, by the way. But this escalates security around keys and data access and control. And so it provides non-custodial capability with the security of a custodial recovery process. And these are all independent people. They don't know about each other. The only one who knows who the, where the other two keys are at are you. And that's it. So that's the, that's the coolness around that key recovery management process. And I just posted an article around that. Um, we have a, a, like a blue paper out there that kind of talks about that. And we are looking for partners to just be able to build that out because that's going to be huge for the blockchain space. I love it. No, that was super well said and definitely uh, refuted some of the points that I was kind of coming up with in my mind. And so I, I kind of have two more questions in closing. And 
the first one is, you know, when I think of boring things in the crypto space, I automatically think of stable coins. I can't really think of anything more boring than a stable coin, but <laughs> what what is Abstract doing uh, to power stable coins and to innovate around that and make it exciting? Well, ex- exciting. Um, <laughs> That's a good question. See, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> stable coins have a purpose. So when you look at merchant payments, when I'm a merchant and I sell something for a dollar, they don't want to have it literally by the time to end of the night when they when they put the money in the bank, it to be only worth 10 cents. They want something a little bit more concrete and stable because we all have bills to pay. We all have operational costs. So when you look at friction and you look at right, they can't they can't expose themselves to the volatility of price movements. So that's kind of why they'd like something that is always pegged or to a pegged dollar. to something, right? That is a stable value, and it doesn't have to necessarily be a dollar. It could be a euro, it could be gold, but they, at the end of the day, it needs to be cashed out in a currency that they can spend money and pay bills with, um, whatever that is. Maybe one day it's it is a digital currency, and we don't have to go from paper to digital back to paper again. I, I think it's funny that we've kind of went through the whole, the whole paper, like literally physical paper to digital back to paper and how we got rid of the printing and said, guys, let's, let's try to get out of like having to print a document, scan it in and then print it off again. Right. Let's get say in digital form. So we look at some government documentation. Finally, I can submit my IRS taxes. I know IRS, I'm bringing that up, but without having to actually physically, you know, write some things down, um, I can actually submit that. So uh, my whole point there though is, we're doing that with money, though. We go, we go you know, only 6% um, of the world's U.S. dollars are uh, M1, which is basically actual currency. The rest is all digital already. So why not tokenize that and so that and then also get rid of some of those rails and friction that makes it expensive to send money around the world or payments. So for merchant payments, you've got to have a stable token or currency store of value that's going to allow you to interchange between me the customer and the merchant and for them to be able to spend that money. So that's where I see stable coins really playing a big part is just knowing the reality is, is merchants want to be able to have, don't want to play the the trading game, the stock market game. They want to play the, I get paid a certain amount and I have that amount and I can use that to pay bills and buy food and, and, and stock my items up, yada, yada. Amazing. Yeah. Well said, well said. It sounds, you know, pretty exciting. Uh, still, in my opinion, uh, not the most exciting thing in crypto, but definitely a necessity. Um, How about for gaming? Uh, gaming's exciting. What if, you know? Yeah, I mean, let's talk about gaming. gaming. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a gamer. Uh, I used to, uh, you know those Chinese gold farmers, and people used to buy gold because it saved yes. them time and money. Escape, uh, so World of Warcraft. Talk about about boring farming for gold money so you can buy stuff in a gaming situation is just boring. So what do people do? They paid someone else to do it for them so they could have fun playing the game, you know, raids or whatever, right? PVP. Um, And so in that sense though, some of these games had issues with people getting access to the currencies and, and and stealing them and bloating them. But on a distributed ledger or something that's a little bit more immutable that's tokenized um, that would secure um, the ledger and therefore uh, the gold in any game more amenable. And the same thing with items yeah. and skins. So wax, wax is a well, big company, real, right? Real, they- real quick, real quick before you go on, that's that brings up a great point because um, you know the whole entire you know public nature of these blockchains is, would be super crucial in uh, in these virtual ecosystems. I actually just saw a presentation. Actually, I was in Austin, believe it or not. I was in Austin a few months ago. 
And I saw a presentation about this hacker who basically uh, found ways to, you know, print. You know, he it was for World of Warcraft and for Second Life, yeah, Second Life, and a couple other games. And he basically found a way to print money out of thin air, print these gold currencies out of thin air. And they eventually contacted him and said, "Hey, we see what you're doing, and we will pay you." in order to not hack us because he was selling, he would print this money, inflate the economy and it would completely ruin everything. So that would have been totally expunged or that would have been totally impossible to do if those currencies were on a public uh, blockchain. I don't, I never like to use the word impossible or, or a hundred percent, but it would definitely make it a lot more difficult. There, there may be ways to, to trick the ledger from a different point of view. The ledger itself is immutable, but from uh from introducing it, um, there may be other ways to do some, some other sort of attacks, but it definitely would would shut down a lot of different vectors of attack um, by having that meanable ability there and to be able to do an audit and um and, and prevent some of those things from happening. And I was saying earlier, Wax is a great example of a company that does these skins and they're unique skins, and some of them go for like seventy five thousand dollars. Damn. And, and these skins, these skins are for those of you guys who don't know, skins are like, you know, you put it on your gun in game and it makes it a different color. You put it on your avatar or your character, it brings a new outfit, that kind of stuff. And seventy five thousand dollars. And they don't buff you at all. They don't, you know, make your character stronger. They're just simply for clout and looks. That's insane. Vanity items, we call it. Yep, exactly. Uh, they are they are purely unique items, and just because you want to look cool and be cool, and you have lots of money, and people do that with artwork, and people do that with lots of things, um, you know, or that are collectibles. But uh, yeah, so this is where I think stable coins or a utility token, in this case, uh, uh, can really come into play to to ensure um, you reduce some of the the hacking or bad acting that's going on regarding a, a economy in a in a game itself and any value that's accrued around certain vanity items or unique items. Um, it's all could be recorded and amenable on the blockchain on who owns it and uh, who created it. Corey, it's been awesome getting a chance to talk with you today and hear about uh, the world of crypto from your perspective. So we have one final question that we like to ask everyone. If this was the first podcast, someone getting into the crypto space has listened to, what would you want them to know? I would want them to know that this technology and this space is going to impact them in the future, uh, whether or not they, they know it, like it's publicly known. When they see prices go down or, or things change in, in terms of efficiencies or reduction of, of, of fat or middlemen, um, it's most likely a lot of it's going to be done to, because of, of blockchain and the ability to, to have more direct to buyer or direct to consumer without having to go through third parties. And so the technology is great and all technologies can be used wrongfully. Uh, and, you know, we look at some of the ICOs and that was the case, or you may have bad rap about some certain cryptocurrencies, but underneath the intent of the technology is to streamline and improve and reduce friction out of various processes, user experiences and, and things of that nature. So, that was what I say to them at a, at a very high level is, is, is really this is technology is like the Internet was back in the 90s. It's going to change your life. Hell yeah. I love that, man. That's awesome. Corey, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and we look forward to, you know, hearing more from Abstract and seeing where you guys end up. We're, we're super stoked to uh, support you. And thank you for your support as well. Well, thank you, Bryce and Pizza Mine. I really appreciate the time to talk about this. Uh, 
love to love to catch up uh, in the future. And uh, if anyone has any questions or just interested in, in having a beer and they happen to be in Austin or somewhere that I happen to be, uh, more than happy to chat about what we're doing and and kind of how we're helping, you know, essentially adoption within the space. Heck yeah. And, and lastly, uh, but certainly not least, how could they get in touch with you? Is there an email or a Twitter handle that you want to point people to? Uh, they can get a hold of me on, on Twitter um, as well as, uh, so my email is Corey, C-O-R-E-Y at go abstract with a K versus a C, K-T dot com. Uh, and they can also get to me on my Twitter um, as well at Corey Siegel. That's what it is. Very simple. Perfect. Yep. We'll link all that stuff in the show notes. Thank you for sharing that with us and uh, take care of yourself and we'll see you soon. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Have a good one. This is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall. He knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working. The HVAC is humming and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.